The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time, everyone. Um, today it's a beautiful fall day in New England. I hope you all are having a great Monday. Um, our topic today is Addiction Families and the Truth of 12-Step Recovery. Um, which is kind of a very broad title that um, we'll get into more in a couple minutes. I'd like to introduce our guest today. It's Ian Koch, who is currently working at Seabrook House in New Jersey. Um, he graduated from uh, Champlain College, and he has an MS from the Program of Community Mental Health at Southern New Hampshire University. Uh, Ian is a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, and he has a certificate in integrated mental health and substance abuse, and is internationally certified addiction specialist. And in his spare time, uh, Ian received a certificate of advanced study from St. Michael's College in uh, unitive psychology, which I don't know what it is, so Ian, you're going to have to tell us what that is. And this course was designed to integrate many aspects of addiction treatment and the principles of recovery. Um, Welcome to One Hour at a Time, Ian. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, before I ask you the main question, tell me what I, unitive psychology is, because I've never heard of that. Unitive psychology is an idea of bringing many facets and aspects of spirituality and many facets of recovery and utilizing that in psychology. Uh, psychology, initially, uh, if you look at the root uh, definition of the word, it's about the soul and, and dealing with the soul. Uh, I feel like today it's kind of moved into the mind, and initially in a lot of religions throughout history, it's been documented that the soul is different than the mind. Um, the Buddhists say Omane Padme Om, which means the mind is in the lotus, and their belief is that the mind relies in the heart, and the brain kind of tells you what you need to do. Uh, the brain might say, I have an itch, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry. But the mind knows, the mind is where it says, you know, you really should let that person go in front of you at the grocery store. They've got less items than you have. The mind says, you hold, you hold that door for that person. Um, the mind is where so many addicts and alcoholics can't get to. They think with their, with their brain real quick and they, and they act. Uh, so unitive psychology is bringing different facets of religion, unitive being oneness into psychology uh, and helping the healing of an individual. That sounds fascinating and very apropos for our topic today. <laughs> it is. Um, my One of my mentors is Dr. Albert Lachance, who's in New Boston, uh, New Hampshire, and he's written extensively on, on unitive psychology so people can look it up if they're interested. Um, you know, as you're talking about 
uh, folks who experience uh, addictive disorders or addiction and families who who experience that, you know, you know, we've all heard about addiction being a three-legged stool. There's the emotional part, there's the physical part, and there's the spiritual part. And I think that the, I guess the challenge and also I think um, what makes addiction treatment fun is figuring out how do you incorporate all three of those into effective treatment. Yeah. And I know today you really wanted to kind of focus on the spiritual part and the cycle of addiction and how all those three are interwoven. Exactly. And and nobody, you know, nobody coming in the doors uh, into recovery, whether it's the family uh, with the addict, the family by themselves, or the addict or alcoholic, nobody wants to hear they have a spiritual illness. Um, if you want them to leave treatment AMA, that's the first thing you need to tell them is they have a spiritual illness, they'll turn around and they'll be out the door. But documented, you know, there, we've, we've had great, great, great medical advances in terms of addiction, what's been happening with addiction, the brain, the science of the brain, dopamine, serotonin, all this, this good information. But documented for hundreds and hundreds of years, um, in Buddhism is a principle called druka. In Christianity is a principle called the human condition or the false self. And ultimately what, what these ideas are is what I call the grass is green syndrome. The grass is greener over there. And in this, in 12-step recovery, uh, in the doctor's opinion, in the big book, it talks about being restless, irritable, and discontent when sober. Um, what I always tell my clients is that they don't have a problem with alcohol and drugs. They got a bad case of sobriety. And really what they need to treat is sobriety. Um, because it's, it's from that state of sobriety when somebody relapses, when they go back to drinking and drugs, usually because they can't handle what's happening at that current moment. And the drink or drug, eventually it'll make things worse. But initially, it gives, that, gives them that feeling of, oh, I can relax, I feel better, I'm okay. And then it backfires. And then we get into ultimately the cycle of, of what's happening. But this stuff, I mean, addiction is not new. You know, anyone who has a shopping problem, um, heroin problem, overeating problem, it's because that they can't handle being sober. And when I get one more, I'll be okay. You know, and, and every... My belief is that every person who walks the earth experiences this. Now, addicts and alcoholics, folks who end up needing treatment, are on the, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, they would be down at a 10, where someone like my father would be at a 1. My father has paid all of his bills, has no debt whatsoever, you know, has, has been a machinist and um, pretty much a blue-collar worker his whole life, but, you know, doesn't have any issues where, you know, addicts or alcoholics, it's, they can't stop, you know, and there's always one more. Um, I know many people have the idea when they're in college, when I get my bachelor's degree, when I get my master's degree, when I just get that, that next credential, when I just get that job, when I just get that raise at work, when I just get that new car, once the car is paid off, once I get that bigger house, once the house is paid off, you know, this constant idea of that next thing in the future is going to be okay. Um, but for addicts and alcoholics, it, they have that, but to the 10th degree. 
you know, I think it's really important for our listeners, too, to understand that, um, you know, the spiritual component to to people that have addiction and addictive disorders, um, it's really not always unique to just people with, with addiction. There are folks that have mental illness that have very similar um, thought patterns and very similar um, ways of thinking, and that uh, historically... When I was in nursing school, you know, we were taught not to talk about spirituality with people with mental illness because it would make them more symptomatic. And I think that the concept of spirituality or spiritual um, necessity is uncomfortable for a lot of clinicians and a lot of um, treatment providers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not, and we're not talking about God necessarily. You know, right. I did I did a lecture last week uh, down here in front of. I don't know, 70 clients, and the lecture was titled The Spectrum of God. And, you know, I have them throw at me all these different names, you know, Allah, God, Jesus, the spirit of the universe, Mother Nature, inner self, higher self, you know, all these different concepts that when you, and this is what unitive psychology is about, but when you really strip away the dogma and the language, you always get down to the root, which is that, Deep within every man, woman, and child, we have this this little voice. You know, mothers know it as the mother's intuition. Um, I like to talk about it as my heart, you know, and, and I can listen to my heart, and my heart tells me right from wrong. My it, Many clients, you know, many clients coming in badly bruised will say, well, I know right from wrong, and they do because their heart's telling them, but they can't access that. You know, so the 12 steps, not going to meetings, but the 12 steps help people access what's in their heart. Good, good, good therapy helps people access what's happening in their heart, which other people will call the soul. You know, and that's where I believe this voice of, call it God or your higher power, whatever, you know, you want to put on it, whatever label you want to put on it, I believe that's where it resides. Well, I think human beings have been searching for um, a way to connect with the soul as far back as Allah, the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. Jesus' work on the earth was all about that. And, you know, the 12 steps really grew out of a spiritual movement that started in England. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, you know, I I think a lot of people who don't understand the 12-step movement think that, you know, these two guys fought this all up on their own. But, I mean, there's a lot of validity to what what is in the 12 steps because it's based on many spiritual principles that were um, being utilized, you know, basically all over For a Europe. long time. For yeah. a long time. Yeah. And what, yeah. where I really, when I, when I say, like, the truth about 12-step recovery, for me, the truth is that meetings don't treat alcoholism or addiction or any other addictive disorder. Meetings are a place for people to meet, right? That's why they had meetings. That's why they had meetings initially is to get together and to have that camaraderie, the the brotherly understanding, the brotherly love. But the process that treats the issue is the 12 steps, you know, is doing the 12 steps with a sponsor, not filling out some worksheets, but but actually sitting down with a sponsor and working through the 12 steps. What what happens is we've turned it into as a a field, 
uh, as a mental health field, we've turned it into, well, go to meetings, get a sponsor, go to meetings, get a sponsor, go to meetings. And we get so preoccupied with trying to get these, these individuals motivated to attend some meetings that we miss the whole point, which is they need to be working the steps. And, yeah, meetings are good, but what about the single mom who's got two little kids, needs to work full-time, can't afford aftercare, can't afford extended care, can't do IOP, can't even think about going to a meeting every day? Does that mean she's not able to stay sober? You know, and I don't believe that's the case. I believe if she gets a good sponsor, works through the 12 steps, you know, she's got a real good shot. The other thing that, that I think is so fascinating is Frank Buckman, like you mentioned in, in the Oxford group, an evangelical Christian movement, Carl Jung, you know, one of the fathers of, of psychology, um, and then these two drunks ultimately formed, you know, this or put together this, this 12-step process. 1939, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous was, was put together, the first 164 pages. Now, since 1939, we've had a tremendous amount of different textbooks, different guides, you know, the man's way through the 12 steps, the women's way through the 12 steps, rational recovery, moderation management, all these different books, different texts that have come out and changed and changed and changed. But the original 12-step format still has not changed. Um, and, and we'll be right back after this commercial to talk more with Ian. If you have any questions, give us a call. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Leadership is a destination, but how do you get there? More importantly, how do you maximize your power and influence and develop more leaders in your organization? Learn from proven leaders and proven practices. Join Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler for Leadership Development News. This program will help you develop the next leaders in your organization, balance your work life, manage your boss, and manage yourself. We'll feature cutting-edge interviews with industry experts and authors. Leadership Development News, every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, on The Voice America business channel a fresh look at today's health voice america health and wellness you're listening to one hour at a time with host mary woods if you have a question for mary or her guests call now the listener lines are open the toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792 that number again is 1-866-472-5792 now let's get back to mary and one hour at a time 
Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Our show today is about addiction and families and the truth of 12-step recovery with our guest, Ian Koch, who works at uh, Seabrook House. And um, during our last segment, we were really trying to set the stage, I believe, for what is a cycle of addiction and, and what is a difference in some ways between being dry, which means you're, you're abstaining from alcohol and drugs, and, and what's really about being sober. And it's really about that hole in your soul that you feel that you used to fill up with alcohol and drugs. You're now filling it up with something very positive. And um, I just think it's important for our listeners to understand that, you know, recover, self-help is self-help and treatment is treatment. And oftentimes treatment facilities will utilize self-help in place of treatment. And I think that, that they do their, their uh, clients a disservice um, because a lot of what people can get in self-help, as you were saying earlier, you can get for free and um, you shouldn't have to pay for what you can get for free. But that's my editorial comment. So um, <laughs> you can comment on that if you want. It's fine. It's no, a, I, I mean, program. I agree. I agree. Therapy and, and 12-step recovery is different. I don't, I don't want to classify 12-step recovery with self-help, though, because nothing in 12-step recovery is about an individual helping themselves. It's about really them, them seeking a higher power, seeking a sponsor, going to the group. I mean, let's face it. If these guys and girls could help themselves... I wouldn't have a job, I, you know, and, and neither would you. You know, Westbridge wouldn't be around, Seabrook wouldn't be around, but they can't help themselves, right? And and that's because of the cycle addiction of addiction. Now, therapy, therapy is just just as important, and to be quite honest, could be an excellent adjunct um, for folks in twelve step recovery. And to be quite honest, there's too many people in twelve step recovery who are trying to play junior therapist. Who have no right to, and, and and can actually do more harm than good. So, I do want the listeners to know that I'm not saying people don't need therapy or, or anything like that. Um, I do think therapy is important. I do think aftercare, extended care programs, are important. However, while they're doing this stuff, is really the prime time to be getting involved and, and getting through this step process. So. In terms of the cycle of addiction, uh, the first step, you know, and and we could look at this in terms of whether it's uh, co-addiction, a.k.a. codependency, um, alcohol, heroin, gambling, sex, uh, food, whatever. But the first step says we admitted we were powerless over our addiction, dash, that our lives have become unmanageable. And so often I hear... The unmanageability was I crashed a car, I got a DUI, I lost a job, all these things. And I'm not going to say that that stuff isn't unmanageable, but but that's a different unmanageability than than what the the literature actually talks about. Um, the first step it, it suggests we're powerless, and and we're really powerless two ways. Um, I'll use my own experiences that. You know, when I start drinking, I can't seem to stop. You know, I get thirsty. I don't necessarily turn into a monster. Um, I just get thirsty. Now, eventually, if I drink too much, I do coincidentally become a monster. <laughs> but but this, this explains why the cocaine addict uh, goes to the ATM 
you know, takes a cash advance, goes to their dealer's house, uses the drug, then goes back to the ATM, takes another cash advance, goes back to the dealer's house. This explains why little Jimmy, who's been doing Perk 30s, is calling mom. Mom's not giving him money. He's got an excuse. Mom's still not giving him money. That's when he starts stealing mom's jewelry or taking the checkbooks from the checkbook for mom, writing blank checks. Um, this is why the alcoholic uh, after work just goes and have a couple cocktails, you know, just have a beer with the guys after work, but doesn't come home until well after dinner, you know, because they're they're physically powerless that when they start, they can't stop. Now, Nancy Reagan uh, had the idea that. You know, we should just say no. But if an addict could just say no and not touch the first drink, therapy would be very simple. Don't pick they up wouldn't a drink. be an addict. Yeah, well, don't pick up a drink. You know, this isn't yeah. this isn't rocket science. But but there is that inability to say no. There's in a, the inability to stay away from the first one, and that's where we we talk about being mentally powerless. So physically powerless is that when we start, we can't stop. Mentally powerless is that when we stop, we can't stay stopped. Now, the sad thing about 12-step recovery is that the meetings have gotten extremely watered down. The public information committees don't do their jobs. um, And people aren't getting this information out there. And often you can go to a meeting and you'll hear some guy with a few years of sobriety say, just don't pick up no matter what. But I ran a group this morning with over 20 guys. And when I said how many people who have got sober and really wanted to stay sober and then picked up again, and when every single one of them raised their hands, that doesn't mean that they don't want it bad enough. You know, it means they're they're powerless. And then the third part, uh, would be the dash that our lives are becoming manageable, and that's this this internal discomfort. Um, a lot of people look at the internal discomfort as depression, anxiety. However, uh, it manifests itself like depression, anxiety, this this restlessness, irritability, uh, not content with what we have. But it, there's a way to know the difference. You know, if someone's prescribed anxiety meds and depression meds that don't work. You know, what happens often with these folks is that they get prescribed meds, they don't work, so they adjust the dose, then they adjust the dose again, then they switch pills, then they add in pills, then they adjust the dose, and it's this constant game of medication management when the truth is that they've got this other unmanageability that's not going to get treated um, by the pill. And in that, that cycle... What happens is when someone's sober, that unmanageability really kicks in. They can't sit still. Um, They're depressed. They can't hold a job. Uh, Life becomes unbearable. Sometimes on the surface, especially with functional addicts, functional alcoholics, they look good to the world. Um, Yet on the inside, they feel like they're dying. The mind says, well, maybe you can have just one. No one's going to know. This time's going to be different. This time you can get away with it. It's it's just Coors Light. It barely even has any alcohol. Um, oh, well, heroin was the problem. You can smoke weed. They pick up that one substance, and then once they pick up that substance, then they're off and running, and then they can't stop again. And it becomes this cycle. And then because of their use, the physical piece, the, the 
physical powerlessness because they they keep using that creates another level of guilt and shame so that drives them back into that unmanageable piece the internal discomfort which then triggers the mind the mind to say okay i'll have another and then it, it just becomes this insidious cycle parents do it with codependency um you know, mom says, okay, we're done. We're not going to play this game anymore. We're, we're, you've got to go. I'm not giving you any more money. How's this? I'm not giving you any more money. And then he calls. Well, my, I got a speeding ticket and, you know, I'm not getting paid. My boss can't pay me this Friday. He's not going to pay me till Monday. I've got these bills to pay. Mom says, okay, just one more time. You know, mom gives him the money, then she starts to worry, it triggers her mind, she starts worrying, and, and her physical piece might be the worry and the control, and I need to do this, and I need to make sure my baby's okay. You know, so it, everyone who's affected has this, this three-part puzzle. This is why there's Al-Anon and Naranon and AA and NA. Um, it's just fitting them into that puzzle, I think, is the, is the tricky part sometimes. One of the things I've heard over the years from, from women and from other kind of disenfranchised folks that, you know, the whole concept of powerlessness is really um, not attractive to them because they feel so powerless anyway. Mm. And that the, the fact that they have to become even more powerless is, is just not something they can wrap their head around. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not saying they're powerless over people, places, and things. I'm not saying they're powerless over the world. Um, I'm actually only saying they're powerless over two things. They're powerless because when they start, they can't stop. And when they stop, they can't stay stopped. That's it. That's the, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. when I, because no. you do hear, oh, you're powerless over everything. That's not true, actually, at all. Um, yeah, there's certain things we can control better than others. But really, they're just powerless over the fact that when they start, they can't stop, and when they stop, they can't stay stopped. You know, and when I really try to keep bringing them back to those two things, I do. There, I mean, there was guys in the group this morning who, who are really struggling with believing that they're the real deal, um, yet they do identify to those two things. They still don't want to say they're alcoholic or addict or a real addict, but they do believe those two things. Right. And that's essential. I mean, believing that I think sometimes is is just is more important than saying it because mm-hmm. once you believe it, then you can start to change your way of thinking. And um, you know, people who have addictive disorders, um, they they tend to get into this black and white thinking. It's all or nothing. And and helping them find the gray area and learn that they don't have to act on impulses, I think, is really important as well. It's critical. Um, and that's where, that's where some of the rest of the steps will come in. You know, that's where, uh, good mindfulness training comes in. You know, I know that's, that's a big evidence-based practice these days. Um, I read something today that, uh, what was it? That the tool for the day was feeling without acting. Um, and, and this stuff as an adjunct is perfect, you know, um, and ideally, they they learn this this type of stuff in treatment. They learn this stuff in aftercare while they're while they're doing extended care, you know. But ultimately, in terms of the cycle of addiction, um, 
they need to get they need to get motivated to to do willingness. You know, I I always say that the treatment doesn't really treat addiction. You know, we don't really have time. Um, we support people. We give people a lot of really good information and education. But ultimately, we're motivating them to continue once they leave treatment. Um, and we'll be right back after this commercial with more with Ian. If you have any questions or comments, give us a call. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. In your family, what is most important to you? Is it health? Relationships? How about getting along better with your kids or your parents? Maybe it has to do with losing pounds or gaining financially. Whatever the problems you face in your family, you'll want to tune in to Family First with your host, author, and speaker, Randy Rolfe. Since 1985, Randy has become the foremost expert on matters concerning the family, and she can help you. Family First airs live every Friday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Our guest today is Ian Koch, who works at Seabrook House, and we're talking about addiction families and the truth of 12-step recovery. And in our first segment, you, you um, briefly defined, as you thought, the truth of 12-step recovery. And I, uh, Could you expand on that a little bit more for our audience? The, the truth is that, that it's not just going to meetings, that, that too many people recommend that people go to meetings and they think that they're going to be condemned to a life of going to meetings and that's not what it's about the truth is that it is a 12-step program that enables the the practitioner to live a happy useful successful life um, meetings are good that's where meeting people meet and i'm not saying that that people shouldn't be going to meetings and, and someone always says oh well ian said we don't have to go to meetings that's not what i'm saying um, what I'm saying is that meetings are helpful. However, meetings don't treat addiction or alcoholism or codependency. Meetings are just a place for people to have fellowship. The 12-step program is what removes that obsession to continue to use, that removes the obsession of the family member 
to need to control their loved one. I can remember, um, I don't remember which movie it was, but Father Martin, it was Chalk Talk, or mm-hmm. maybe it was the movie on the 12 Steps, but he broke down the 12 Steps into trust God, clean house, and help others. Yeah, and that's and that's the steps in a nutshell. Um, families, I think, the first thing I want to say is that for families who are listening to this, um, when your son or daughter uh, gets sober and gets out of treatment, that doesn't mean your job is done. You know, families need to participate in their own recovery program, whether that's Al-Anon for Friends and Families of Alcoholics, Naranon, Friends and Families of Addicts and, and Addicts. Uh, if all you can find is an Al-Anon meeting, go to the Al-Anon meeting, participate, uh, get a sponsor yourself, work the 12 steps yourself. This illness affects everyone. You know, too often does mom think that, well, when Jimmy just gets out of treatment, we'll just go on with our lives and everything will be back to normal. And that's so far from the truth. Um, we have a, down here at Zebra House, we have a great matrix program, family matrix, and every weekend it's offered for families to come in and, and learn about this. And we talk about the importance of going to Al-Anon and participating in the steps yourselves. Um, when when Father Martin talks about trust God, clean house, and help others, that's, I mean, that saying's been around forever probably in, in NA and AA. And, you know, the the trusting God would be ultimately, you know, steps two and three. Cleaning house will be steps four to nine, and then helping others will be uh, really step twelve. You know, it's it's the essence of these spiritual principles. Um, when I look at the steps, because some folks are just real resistant to going to twelve step recovery. However, that doesn't mean that they can't practice these principles. Um, the steps are principles. There's Right now I know there's the man's way through the 12 steps, the women's way through the 12 steps. There's you know, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus's way through the 12 steps. None of that stuff is really necessary. Um, the steps are like they're, they're principles, so it's like gravity. You know, gravity affects everyone the exact same way if it's, a, you know, if it's applied the same. Love is a principle. Honesty is a principle. Uh, honesty doesn't care if you're straight, gay, white, black, uh, Hispanic, man, woman, 50, 20. Honesty is honesty. Um, and that's how these steps are, and that's how the steps were designed. I'm not saying that you know, men don't have certain issues that women don't have and vice versa, but that's why ideally you find someone uh, who's similar to help you through the process. Um, the, you know, the can first... I just ask you a question? Because sure. this is something that happens sometimes with our families, is the concept sure. of honesty. Why is that so important for recovery? You can't base your recovery on a lie. I mean, you just... Dishonesty creates guilt and shame. Um, there's a, a great book by Emmett Fox called The Ten Commandments. And he outlines he outlines the Ten Commandments in a spiritual aspect, not as the letter of the law, but for instance, thou shalt not steal. Right? If I take if I take something of yours, Mary, say I take your pen at work. Well, I know I've taken your pen. 
And every time I write with your pen, I know it's your pen. You know, I'm not going to get away from that. Um, so it's not that I physically can't take your pen. It's that I'll never have the freedom of owning your pen because it's never going to be mine. So thou, thou shall not lie, right? Dishonesty is not that we, we can't do that. It's that it's going to eat and fester and rot us from the inside out. Um, secrets, right? All these secrets that, that families have and live with, it doesn't do anyone a bit of good. Um, no, and it kills people. Kills people. Secrets kill. Kills people, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you're thinking about, like, um, cleaning house, and, you know, you, you mentioned um, steps four through through nine, nine. Yeah. Um, maybe you could explain to our families why that's important, because I... I think that, um, you know, everybody's looking for a magic bullet that if I just do this once, you know, if I go to 90 meetings in 90 days and I'm done, my family member goes to 90 meetings in 90 days, then he or she is done. Um, why, why is it so important to clean house? So the, so the inventory process, uh, which is steps four and five, is, is ultimately the person not writing down every single thing they've ever done wrong, that might be part of it, but really looking at um, the true nature of their problem, really outlining their resentments, their different fears, um, their different conduct that they've had with other people, and really starting to look at why am I this way? You know, what am I doing? Why is it that I have a resentment with Jimmy? You know, and, and as people build and work through that, they find out that, you know, usually they're holding up a mirror and that for every reason that they're mad at someone else, they're really, you know, there's something about themselves, typically a, a bit of selfishness and some dishonesty or some fear that's been eating them alive. As they as they move through the fourth step, they typically see patterns. They see why they're acting certain ways. They see how they've treated people poorly. In the fifth step, it's confession, ultimately. It's admitting that to someone else and, and to their higher power. Finally getting free so they don't have to hide behind those secrets anymore. Um, parents often have said to me, I have a small uh, private practice called Northeast Addiction Consultants where we work a lot with families. And um, parents have often said to me, um, I'm embarrassed to admit this or I'm so shameful to admit this, but I hate my kid. I hate them, and I wish they were dead. I mean, my father used to wish I was dead, and I, I, he actually didn't tell me that until I had like six years of sobriety. But um, living with that, you know, I, I, when me and my father had that conversation, the look on his face um, when he told me that, now mind you, at this point, I was six years sober. I had my master's degree by then. You know, I, I was a very productive person in life. It wasn't you know, like I was still in jail or even dealing with any of those consequences. You know, the, the, the look on his face that he'd been holding that in for all these years, you know, and, and he said that it was so bad that he just didn't, he wished it, was, it would almost have been easier, you know. So as, as families with their sponsors or addicts and alcoholics with their sponsors are getting rid of these secrets, um, it's like taking that, uh, they say it's like taking that bag of bricks and putting it down that you've been carrying around for years. Uh, step six and seven, step six is about um, really admitting that, that our behaviors, not the drinking, because by this point, now we're looking at the behaviors. We're looking at 
why we can't handle life sober. And step six is really about being willing to surrender to being selfish towards other people, being self-seeking, being dishonest, being, you know, fearful, treating people poorly, manipulating, all the all the things that come with it. Step seven is asking for a power greater than yourself to remove them. Um, a lot of the time, depending where the person is in their sobriety, is just being willing to listen to their sponsor um, and get good guidance from from another person or even listening to their therapist for that matter. Uh, step eight and nine Step eight and nine are, are, if somebody makes it through a fourth and fifth step, I usually see a lot of people fall off around that time because they're they're just not willing to really do that work. So if someone gets to eight and nine, uh, I always say that I see the most freedom come through steps eight and nine. Um, step eight is where you make a list of the people you've harmed. Uh, step nine is where you actually make amends to those people. And, you know, everyone addict, alcoholic or not, everyone, uh, if you can imagine that time where there was that person and you really wished it would have went different, um, imagine having the ability to go back to them and say, I was wrong. You know, what can I do to change this? What can I do to make this right? And when that person says, well, I want you to do X, Y, and Z, and then you do that, all that shame and guilt is gone. You know, I, I don't believe that addicts or alcoholics have to live with guilt and shame. I don't believe families have to live with guilt and shame. That that there is a, a way and a process of moving forward and working through this that it will not resurface. You know, because, I mean, like I've, I've done it over and over in my life. I've seen it happen uh, a million times that... When someone goes to someone and says, what can I do to make this right? And that person says, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And then they do that, that the guilt and shame just disappears. Well, I think it's also important. It's it's great because we continue to be human beings. And a way to deal with our quote-unquote character defects, some of these we're just going to live with. But learning how to acknowledge them and do the repairs we need to do to repair is really important to staying sober. I mean, we're not, yeah, and and even as little kids, like, we're not taught this stuff. You know, we're not taught to go make something right because we believe it. We're we're forced to apologize, you know, and think of how many times these addicts and alcoholics apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It becomes like just some, like, frivolous, you know, worthless words. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But, But really to have the desire to change, to have the desire to fix where you went wrong is a whole nother story. You know, paying back people who you've stolen from, um, I mean, I could give you, I could give you a, a bunch of situations, but to, to change it, to correct it, you know? Well, that's the, I guess if there's any magic in, in, in recovery, I think that's it. And it is, you know, and, and then my experience is seeing people come out on the other end of that. Um, that's when, that's when they really end up staying sober because by that point they have the desire to work the rest of those steps. Um, and we'll be right back with our final segment with Ian after this commercial. 
Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Get the latest information in health and wellness when you tune into On the Radio with Dr. Ray. Each week, you'll find out the latest and greatest from both traditional and holistic perspectives. Your host, Dr. Robert Ray, better known as Dr. 90210, is the best known and most sought-after plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills. Dr. Ray, with his co-host, Natalie Day, will help you get the dream body you've always wanted through diet and exercise, not surgery and medicine. On the Radio with Dr. Ray airs live Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is One Hour at a Time. I'm Mary Woods, and our guest today is Ian Koch, uh, who currently is working at Seabrook House in New Jersey, and we're talking about addiction, families, and the truth of 12-step recovery. Um, before we went to break, we were, I think we were brought at the ninth step, maybe? Yep. Um, and I think we should at least wrap up with uh, the next couple of steps. Ten or above. Yeah. yeah. Step ten uh the idea of step 10 is to continue to take personal inventory. Um, this is something that normal people are able to do. Uh, for some reason, addicts and alcoholics need to be reminded to do this on a daily basis. It's basically set, set, uh, it's basically correcting your mistakes as you go along. You know, if, whatever, if I lie or I'm dishonest or, you know, offend somebody, whatever it may be, the idea is to to correct that then and not drag it on. You know, we have a, and for families, you know, if if mom's working a 12-step program and, you know, she starts crossing boundaries, you know, it's for her to be able to stop, uh, pause, you know, and take appropriate action around that so it doesn't become an escalated argument or whatever it may be. The oh, I just went blank. I lost my train of thought. Um, all right, well, step, step eleven. <laughs> Being able to take your daily inventory. Um, you know, at Westbridge, we try to do that as a staff. We try to model that for each other and for our participants, so that it takes kind of the fear away of admitting that you're wrong or admitting that you've made a mistake. It really humanizes you. And, and it gives you a way to accept the fact that you're human and not perfect. 
and we are, and that's and that's the thing is that before anyone was an addict or alcoholic, they were a human. You know, before mom or, or dad, for that matter, was you know a mess because of this illness, they were a human being. And what happens is if we don't correct our mistakes, anyone, you know, we it's like we end up carrying that and we put it away in our subconscious. And it's one more lie and it's one more piece of dishonesty. And we just keep plugging it away into our subconscious until eventually, you know, the subconscious can only hold so much and, and then there's some sort of nervous breakdown. The 11th step will be continuing prayer meditation. And what I tell a lot of guys, especially in girls, who are not into, quote, God and prayer, um, that there's a lot of types of meditation out there. There's a lot of different aspects of spirituality. But ultimately, the, the point of that 11th step is to foster uh, and to nurture and to continue to grow in that relationship. Um, you know, some people, it's walking on the beach. Part of my morning routine, uh, I'm blessed enough to live by the ocean, and, and I walk my dog every morning on the, on the beach. You know, and I work early enough that I have, right now, the way the sun's setting, I get to watch the sunrise every morning from the beach. You know, there's something really profound about that. You know, a lot of people find spirituality through nature, uh, looking at the stars, climbing mountains. You know, the 11th step is really participating with whatever that relationship and whatever that thing is, you know, becoming uh, and building on that, dancing, yoga, whatever it may be. And the 12th step is, is a basic, they're all basic spiritual principles, but, but this is in every, 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 every religion out there. Um, and it's about being a service to other people, you know, being kind to other people, treating other people with dignity, respect, honesty, being a service some way. Uh, if you're actually in the 12-step program, that would be, you know, taking them through steps, uh, setting up meetings, doing it that way. If you're not, I mean, this could be, I, I gave um, the whole community here, I was running a lecture last week, and I gave the whole community the the tool or the task of whenever they open a door to make sure there's no one behind them, and if there is someone behind them, to let that person in first. You know, And could you imagine what type of uh, paying forward that would be if, if everyone in the planet opened the door for the people behind them. Like just how that, you know, small act could really change the world. So Does everybody about, do it? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, doubtful. They, they, probably, they probably forgot about it right when uh, they walked out of the group, to be honest. But, um, you know, I like to think about what would happen if, if everyone in the world did that just started holding the door for the other people. So that's service, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so much of what you've been talking about today is really the essence of recovery and it's about fixing what's inside and and it's really about I guess to coin a phrase being the best you can be yeah. and 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 being willing to explore that and and to accept your your humanness, your character defects, and um, learning to to live with yourself and be comfortable with yourself, whether you're alone or with a room full of people. Yeah, recovery is not about hiding from drugs and alcohol. It's learning how to deal with life sober. You know, it's, and it's learning not about how to the number of days sober. you have either. No, 
It's learning how to be sober and live sober. Um, because if, if sobriety was comfortable, they wouldn't drink or drug. Well, some people stop using alcohol and drugs, and they become what we refer to as dry, which and, means yeah. their attitudes remain negative. Yep. Um, they, you know, they are, may continue to be sarcastic. They continue to take other people's inventory, and while they're not drinking or using drugs, they're just as miserable to be around as when they were. Exactly, and it's because they haven't treated the problem. You know, abstinence abstinence doesn't treat addiction. You know, I say it all the time to the guys. How many times has staying sober kept you sober? You know, just staying sober, how you feeling, how you treating people. And it's not enough. And that's that's why more and more residential facilities are advocating for extended care, aftercare, IOP, therapy, um, 12-step recovery, all these things that, um, help the person grow as a human being and be a better person. I mean, we, as addicts and alcoholics, all we do is suppress, you know, and we ultimately don't grow up. So you, Jimmy could be X years old, and when he gets sober, he still acts like a 12-year-old because developmentally he is. You know, he's still selfish. He's still self-centered because developmentally when he started to drink, it suppressed all that. So just not using isn't the answer and that's why everyone advocates therapy and you know 12 steps and things like that I think the other um, the other challenge too is finding um, you know sober and healthy role models because you know oftentimes in the media people who have addictive disorders they're the criminals they're the people that are the you know wigged out on drugs and I mean, there aren't a lot of really good um, role models for recovery. It's true. It's true. And that's once that's where the fellowship and going to meetings um, really can be beneficial for people. You know, to, to meet guys who are sober. There's a movement in Alcoholics Anonymous that's been, that's been on for quite a while, 20-plus years. Um, actually, way more than that, about 40-plus years. But... Um, it's called uh, Young People in AA WIPA. And, you know, you can go to these WIPA conferences, um, and there's groups uh, of average ages 25. You know, guys and girls 25 years old with 5, 10 years of sobriety, kids getting sober at 15, um, going back into these different meetings and having jobs, getting, you know, bachelor's degrees sober, getting master's degrees sober, um, people looking up to them. Um, briefly, how can uh, people find out about Seabrook House? And Seabrook, uh, they can visit seabrookhouse.org, S-E-A-B-R-O-O-K-H-O-U-S-E.org. Um, we're a residential inpatient program. We've been doing what we've been doing for over 35 years. We've got detox, partial hospitalization, outpatient, numerous extended care programs and IOPs. We offer holistic treatment. Uh, with yoga and massage and equine therapy. Thank you, Ian, for a very fast hour. Um, it Thank was you. great talking to you and uh, talking about the spiritual part of recovery. Thank you. Have a great week, everyone. 
We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.